0: to Living in this Queer Body, a podcast about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories bring us back to ourselves. I'm Asher Pancheris, and I appreciate you being here with me today. So I discovered the work of Prentice Hemphill on Instagram through my connections to Adrienne Marie Brown. And one thing that Prentice said um, that impacted me so much that I built a workshop around the theme several months ago, thanks to all who participated. They said something simple but really profound, and here's the quote. Boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously. And I think Prentice's work is, is deeply informed by a kind of wisdom that exists in such an embodied way. And I think you'll find in our interview that this is truly a person who can speak about complex experience in a really brilliant way. Um, They were truly an honor to speak with. And I hope you enjoy this episode. I also hope that if you are listening to this before November 10th, uh, you consider signing up for a workshop with me. The workshop description is available on my website and you can register on my website, uh, which is livinginthisqueerbody.com or on Instagram at livinginthisqueerbody. And I'm also available for one-on-one sessions, and those can be booked on my website at livinginthisqueerbody.com. So on November 10th, I'm co-hosting part one of a two-part virtual workshop with Marielle Berg, who is a psychotherapist and podcaster trained in the health at every size modality. She's the host of the Skillful Podcast and the It's Just a Cookie Podcast. Uh, She's a white, queer, cisgendered um, person who is in recovery from an eating disorder. She's the founder and director of Bay Area DBT and Couples Counseling Center in San Francisco. She also supports people worldwide in healing disordered eating and body hatred through online coaching. So our workshop is called Healthism and Nutritionism. Are not helping with your healing. And it's open to all people, including those in the health and healing professions, as well as those like us, Mar- Marielle and myself, who've been impacted by healthism and nutritionism in our own relationship to our bodies. We'll define these terms, talk about how it is that they, these discourses interfere with our true healing. And in particular, we're going to talk a lot about what is considered to be the virtuousness of health um, and wellness, which is a, a very big topic that I think impacts pretty much all of us. Whether or not we have had experiences with disordered eating or orthorexia or living disabled bodies. Whatever the case may be, if we have challenges to figuring out how to nourish ourselves and feel as if there's a lot of judgment in our relationships or in the world around that, this is definitely the workshop for you. It's pertinent for folks who can relate to some of these questions that we generated. Do you find yourself choosing foods based on whether they are good, bad, or clean? Do you inhabit a disabled, fat, or chronically ill body that is judged for being bad, weak, or lacking in discipline? Do you work with people in your professional life who negatively judge others who aren't healthy or themselves? Do you intellectually disagree that health is not entirely in our own hands, but find yourself making decisions in your life that are driven by an imperative to constantly improve your health and wellness? Do you develop health and wellness goals for yourself all the time? Okay, I could go on and on, but I really wanna go get to our interview. So I'll introduce Prentice, and then we'll, we'll hear from them. So Prentice Hemphill is a movement facilitator, somatics teacher and practitioner, and a writer living and working at the Convergence of Healing individual and collective transformation, and political organizing. Prentice spent many years working with powerful movements and organizations, most recently as the Healing Justice Director at Black Lives Matter Global Network. In 2016, Prentice was awarded the Buddhist Peace Fellowship Soma Award for community work inspired by Buddhist thought. Currently, Prentice is a teacher of somatics with generative somatics, which is focused on bringing a politicized somatics practice to movement building organizations and with Black Organizing for Leadership and Dignity, a training program for Black organizers throughout the US, and works as a facilitator and consultant for organizations and groups looking to center healing justice and transformative justice into the very core of the work that they do to build more well and self-determined communities. Prentice has served as a board member for the National Queer and Trans Therapists of Color Network, a network for connecting communities with representative mental health practitioners and an effort at bringing frameworks for healing justice more soundly into our current mental health provision models. And on Black emotional and mental health an organization committed to removing the barriers for Black people to receive mental and emotional care. Prentice is also a deeply committed practitioner and healer who utilizes somatics, methodology, intuitive, and ancestral practice into their work to heal trauma and unlock the unique brilliance and contribution of each person, body, and being that they work with you can find out more about Prentice at their website, which is prentishempill.com. So that's P-R-E-N-T-I-S, Hemphill, H-E-M-P-H-I-L-L.com. And they are on Instagram, they are Prentice.h. So it's com or Prentice.h on Instagram. And Let's get on to the
1: interview. Prentice, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. Um, appreciate
2: it.
1: So I'd love to start with just a reflection on how you at an early age came to know about being in a body, like what messages or what environment did you find yourself in that helped you to understand that?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I've heard you ask this question to other people on the mm-hmm. podcast and it's always an interesting one for me. And I think every time I hear it, I have a different answer for myself. Mm. Um, The question to me, well, the body in itself is a distinction that we make as human beings. And I think the realization that you have a body or that you are a body, I think it happens in stages, obviously. Yeah. moments, I I still discover my body um, often. But there's also a different question for me. And when did I first? discover what my body could do or feel the wonder of my body that would lead me down a different path and I think when did I first discover that I had a body probably puberty in a way I mean you know I think when you're a kid it's like I'm a part of this whole thing yeah a part of this family um I'm it's you don't, you're not always thinking about what makes you distinct from the other people in your environment or in your family other than when you have moments of pain or you know moments of joy you're like okay I'm experiencing something distinct but for the most part I think I felt really a part of actually this is interesting I think when I was about 11 or 12 I used to walk around with my shirt off all the time and I mean honestly I still do it's still kind of a thing But my mother said, you need to put your shirt on because you have a little brother. You need to make sure that you're covered up. So I think that's when I got the message that there was something about my body that needed to be covered. Hmm. Uh, Yeah, probably 11 or 12, I got that message. I was pretty defiant against it. I still resisted it. Um, I used to go to school and I was really proud that I didn't need a bra. And there were so many people wearing bras that, you know, for to belong. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing that. I don't want to add something extra. So I used to be in the locker room, basketball locker room, like, I don't need a bra and it's awesome. So that's when I started feeling some like anticipation, anxiety, um, kind of the projection from others of shame onto my body. I think previous to that, you know, just to kind of roll back a little bit, I felt a part of, but I also, you know, I've always been a dancer. Mm. So dance was Hmm. a way that I really experienced my body, not so much experiencing it as a body, but as a way to kind of authentically express how I felt. I really used dance therapeutically to help me process emotionally from when I was a young, a young kid. So Mm -hmm. I always felt, like my body was able to express my emotional life. I was so connected to it through that. Um, Mm. Yeah. I keep discovering my body though. It's like, it's a constant discovery.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I like the way you kind of pointed out that, and as a, as a therapist, this is something that I, and as a human, but as a therapist, it's very poignant, this idea that we, we kind of keep discovering our bodies and that it's such a, I think there's so much discourse in, in kind of the, you know, broad wellness community about this idea that you either are or aren't in your body. You know, you're, you kind of like meditate and you enter into your, but you know, like you're embodied or you're not, or, and, and I think that's a real, you know, certainly you're breaking down this idea that you can just, always be discovering different aspects of what it means to be in your body, even making the distinction about, you know, the way dance functioned for you possibly. And I wonder if it it functioned differently than like, for instance, you mentioned basketball, you know, right? Like that basketball was maybe, I don't know if it was a way for you to kind of express aspects of your emotional life, but I imagine if it was, then it was a, it was kind of a different aspect of your emotional life.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think dance has, you know, just to go into that a little bit, I think dance to me has a um, a wider kind of range of language in it for me. I can express a lot of things through dance. And then I have other practices that feel more specific. I think like you're saying, I think basketball, I don't play basketball anymore. I was not a gifted basketball player, but I was I got best defensive player, I think, in the eighth grade because I was so aggressively defensive <laughs> I didn't understand anything about plays or where <laughs> I should be standing or who my person was I was always like just get the ball, <laughs> get the ball at all costs. so yeah whatever that was I was expressing through basketball that mm-hmm. happened uh yeah and I think around the 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 embodiment piece you know I was thinking about this earlier today and I was like oh I I also discover my body through you know, analysis or what we call kind of political analysis or when I'm able to understand more about how the world shapes itself or how the world shapes my body and my experience of the world. You know, if I, when I understand more about ableism as an example, then I, I'm actually, there's something I get to understand about my own body and the way the world, um, has arranged itself around my body and therefore shaped my body. When I understand things like colorism, there's a way that I can, you know, then understand the way my body has been shaped by that in my life and experiences. Been shaped by colorism or anti-blackness. Those, those things that we point to is political analysis, you know, I think in this era we're able to talk more about. They're actually embodied experiences, um, and we get shaped by them really deeply. So when when I'm in community and folks reflect back to me a part of the world or the shaping that I haven't understood. I discover parts of my body there too. I also think as I age, um, as my emotional life changes, I discover more about my body too. My body is a, is a changing, um, it's a, it's changing <laughs> all the time. It's always changing. So there's, as many bodies to discover inside of this this one body that we make it mm. function around.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like the universal, the body you're born with is the is the body, right? It's, right. it's like yeah.
2: I've been many bodies. Mhm. Bodies in me. Too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Where do you think you got? I don't know if that's if it feels like it came from your own discovery but were there people around you or there things that have helped you to understand that notion of being many bodies within a body you know i mean like what do you, what can you think of or point to that or practices or things that you've involved yourself in that kind of helped you to understand the multiplicity of possibilities or you know just realities of of who you what you contain within yourself
2: mhm I can think of a few different lineages. I think one it's hard to know what you came in with um, and to point to that' it's, it's really hard to know, but I think that one of the things that if I didn't come in with it, it's been around for a while is just um, I feel really deeply committed to being myself. <laughs> if nothing else, I feel very committed to being myself and and exploring what what life has to say to me and that's always kind of been a central practice of mine is to get to know myself to get to know life to be up close to it to be honest with myself to change so that may have been influenced by people around me I don't know that my parents would say the same thing about themselves or yeah so it feels something like well that's just always been with me Um, but I do think you know I grew up in the I grew up in a church I grew up in the church and we were kind of like poly around the denominations we would (laughs) (laughs) um go to my mom liked to dabble um we were all we were we always were in kind of the christian sphere but you know we went to pentecostal churches we went to baptist churches we went to presbyterian churches i got a lot of different flavors um but i think especially in the kind of pentecostal frame um the body is very much an actor in that lineage or tradition and transformation is very much a a thing that happens and it's very very much embodied transformation and even the whole kind of christian concept of um which isn't only christian but that concept of being born again or born anew and that can happen you know you can look the same and you can become a new person i think that that is probably deeply ingrained in me too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I think discovering, um, you know, somatics when I was uh, probably 28, 27, 28, something like that, having a space to learn about the body, to integrate what I've known about the body through, you know, my culture, my life growing up, all of that, to forward that knowing around the body as knowledge to understand the way black people inhabit our bodies in particular and what I've learned through that experience. I think somatics gave me a space to, to know what I know in a lot of ways. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can we talk a little bit more about kind of where you were in your life when you did discover somatics? Like what was, how you kind of came to be drawn to that practice that that lineage and and as especially I mean as a queer person you know what what that has meant for you
2: Mm -hmm. yeah uh it was all accidental (laughs) to the degree that things are I was working at an organization in the bay area and generative somatics the organization I've been practicing somatics with since then it's been been almost 10 years since I was introduced to it I was working with an organization who was trying to bring somatic practices into the organizational culture and partnered with generative somatics to do that. And the first training we had with generative somatics, I was like, what the hell is this? This is not what I signed up for. I don't understand. But I remember being really struck by, I think there was a prompt to like feel the edge of your skin Fill the edges of your skin, or something like that. And I realized that I had lived for a long time very small in the center of my chest, and that was the kind of control room of my life. Was a very small me, kind of nestled deep in there. And when they asked me to fill out and fill the edges of my skin, I was like, "Whoa, I have not filled out in a long time." <clears throat> and I think, in terms of where I was in my life at that time, I've been um, in therapy for a while. I have a long history with therapy. I am a therapist also, Mm -hmm. Um, but I had gone to therapy. I I just sought it out. And I always had the curiosity about, yeah, our our spiritual lives, who we are, um, expression. So, you know, I got a lot out of therapy. I was interested in becoming a therapist. At the same time, I started somatics. I think I went back to grad school to become a therapist. So everything was just like kind of unfolding and alive and the questions were there with me so it was all kind of happening at at once for me trauma you know I've been organizing for some years and especially around um prisons and jails and incarceration and um understanding the distinction around trauma what it is how it impacts us our relationships and then understanding the the trauma of oppression and persecution and incarceration and seeing that those experiences showed up in people's lives and bodies, communities, families, kind of shook me to my core and I wanted to figure out how to, I guess, help us heal, for lack of a better way of saying that, help us heal and therapy and somatics were some of the ways that, you know, the tools that I picked up in that moment. hmm
1: hmm Yeah, I mean, I can really relate to in some ways, that that feeling that therapy is very helpful, or being a therapist and working with you know your clients is is very helpful in terms of the really understanding the breadth of and depth of traumatic experience, and 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 witnessing the way it it, it moves through communities and families and bodies. And yet I think what I'm so curious about in terms of your work and what you've, you've done and been doing is, is kind of how studying generative somatics and, you know, practicing along those lines has kind of opened up more. I mean, just even hearing you talk about the, like where the control system was in your life and, and and I understand that intellectually, but I think it 's a really profound thing to experience that mm-hmm. that sense of constriction that exists in in one place in our body or like how we 're operating from one place and i, I don 't know i guess i mean that that feels very consistent with like a you know a kind of a history of traumatic experience I guess what i 'm asking is like sort of what do you think has opened up for you and the people you work with in studying somatics and generous somatics specifically i'll
2: start on what i think is the most fundamental level i i think that we can't underestimate the power in reclaiming our our bodies Mm -hmm. and that our psychobiology all of that to me that is the fundamental building block of self-determination and self-determined communities. Mm. And you know, I've said for years that one of the things I'm very committed to is especially for black people, the felt sense of liberation in our bodies now. And I think it's very important for folks who are committed to movement or to shifting the world in ways that feel more just that we have moments of being able to feel ourselves or feel something liberatory in our bodies um, as an indicator of where we're trying to go. And if we haven't felt that, or, you know, folks who are leading not from the place of having experienced that, um, that concerns me. I wonder where we're going um, if we haven't experienced that. So I think, you know, somatics work for me has been, I think, important not just for me, but for many people. Important place of practice and insights, experience of, you know, healing trauma. Yes, and also experiencing, you know, embodied resilience, uh, feeling themselves as creative beings again and um, resilient beings, and rediscovering intimacy and connection with others. Mm. So. I think that's what it has really offered. And I'm, I'm coming off of a week of teaching with Black Organizing for Leadership and Dignity, or BOLD, which is a, a Black leadership development space, but that feels so limiting in terms of what we do and what is offered in that space. But it's embodied practice, embodied learning, embodied political education, embodied principles of transformative yeah. organizing and rebuilding intimacy, connection amongst Black organizers. And I I think that we just can't underestimate the the power, the rippling power of uh, syncing up with one another, of feeling into our authentic selves. Um, I just think it offers so much for kind of unlocking what justice can look like and also unlocking um, the parts of our creativity, parts of our generativity, that get, you know, snatched up inside of trauma and oppression. And I think having spaces to, to settle and rediscover ourselves in that way, you know, the potential is just, it's really <laughs> limitless and really exciting when I think about it. Mm-hmm. So that, I think it offers that, you know, I'll just say one of the things I've been thinking about lately, and this is in a somatics context and also outside of just, thinking about what does our authentic emotional expression how does that relate to the creation of a a just world I think so much of what trauma has us do is suppress how we feel or try to shape ourselves into aligning with things that you know may make us have to make all kinds of internal or you know compromises in ourselves and I I just think there's something about letting ourselves be and feel a uh, process and understand and just being alive emotionally alive in our embodiment um, that I think will has a lot to say about what it means to be in right relationship, just relationship, creating just world. Mm. Um, I don't think there's really a dis- disconnect there. So,
1: you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you kind of, I just, I just had Adrian Mary Brown on the, the podcast. And I think, you know, so much of what you two are and many, many other people, but, you know, are articulating is, is sort of a, it really is, I think for many people, especially people who've experienced, you know, cumulative trauma is, is really reorienting around how we begin to um how we begin to heal. I mean, that's a really basic way of saying it, but it's like how we begin to heal the starting point. And as therapists, as both of us <laughs> trained as therapists, that's not necessarily, you know, kind of how at least I was trained, yeah. right? You know, yeah. is it, we don't we don't start with kind of the body necessarily. We start with the sort of the, the impact on the body, but, you know, we don't really start, we start with body and pain, you know, and all of that. But mm. I think what you're talking about is like, is a really it's so important that there's literally something generative about starting with an experience in the body and have that lead and direct us in making decisions, aligning with certain communities. And, you know, it's, it just is, it is really different. I, I do think that there's something about at least my own relationship to a broad queer community that feels like there's something that has been kind of articulated in some queer spaces along those lines where there is a kind of a focus on pleasure or desire that is rooted in the body that directs our, our, some of our movements or our, our kind of community building. That's not always the case, but I think that there's something there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you have experienced that for yourself or...
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, just to back up, I, I listened to the episode with Adrian too, and I, my well, Adrian's the homie and I, I love her so much. And especially around this point that you're making, um, how do we let our experiences of pleasure or joy or whatever guide, um, our actions, I think is a, is a very important, uh, point to make. And, um, I just appreciate that because it, it does center so much in the, in the body and this, this, these experiences, like validating our own experiences of our lives. Like that's the actual, yes. you know, it's hard to, you can't know what my experience is, but there's something to, you know, this, this experience we're having of these lives and watching where our energy goes. Or mm. as James Baldwin said, you know, go the way your blood beats and that's how I feel. Wow, you know, queerness, I think I'm going to awkwardly move through this conversation because <laughs> it feels very complicated to me. Hmm. Um, I think it's complicated. I think it's it has been a complicated journey for me, not in my own kind of um, identity or the, the formation of that or who I know myself to be, but more in, you know, when you move into certain communities, Longing for a safety that maybe you didn't feel like you had, and then you feel um, like it's actually not there either. I don't always know how to talk about the the struggle of that experience. You think of a black queer person, and the way the desire plays into that in particular, um, and and the way that black bodies or black masculine bodies or Black, you know, masculine perceived bodies are often uh, a kind of repository for others' desire, but, you know, aren't fully kind of seen for the complexity and the internalness of themselves. I think that even lives in the queer community too, and that's been some of my um, experience there, if I'm very honest. I feel shy about saying these things, but I think it's... Mm. The truth
1: for me. <laughs> it, you feel shy in part because it, 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 does it feel like some kind of like betrayal or, you know, that we're supposed to be, have some kind of allegiance to, you know, like the queer community, whatever that means, or I don't know. Like it, yeah. there's not that, that being critical of, you know, these kind of broadly marginalized communities is it, it's, Maybe be difficult, but I think it, it actually, I mean, in, in my experience and I'm, I, my experiences as uh, you know, as a white person, so it's, it's different, but it, it, it is so important, I think, because there, there is such a, there is such a like depth of longing, I think, for more genuine connection and more, And deeper knowing that so many people, queerly bodied people are, you know, kind of wrestling with in a solitary way um, because of a difficulty in, in sort of speaking to ways in which queer communities leave certain people or feeling alienated or certain parts of your experience alienated I mean I wonder if that's part of like how we could enter into this is like if you have a sense of what aspects of your you know broadly yourself have have experienced some alienation in your in the broadly speaking queer community I mean we don't have to talk about your whatever that means to you and your specific communities but you know just what parts of yourself feel like not able to kind of come forward as easily
2: yeah I think what first came to me when you said that one I mean I think I I should just out myself in this way and that I I'm not good at belonging to anything (laughs) (laughs) so everything should be listened to with that kind of frame around um blackness has always felt different um to me but I think otherwise I kind of I just resist a lot of things but you know I think for me when I think about queerness in my life I'm just going to back it all the way up I don't remember where I was I was talking about this recently but queerness before it it manifested in my sexuality or in my, what we call gender expression, whatever that is. It was just a way of looking at the world slightly sideways and being able to like identify what felt aligned with me and what didn't, what felt like an authentic expression of me and what did not. And like I said earlier, I felt very committed to, authentically expressing myself and committed to the process of change and not resisting that and I struggle with that so I'm just gonna be clear about that I struggle with that but it's a commitment that I have um so I think that is actually the roots of my queerness or what we call queerness is Mm -hmm. that and I think related to that is that I sometimes feel like you know I don't want to impose this on others but I feel like there's actually a spiritual task for queer folks or what I call spiritual I'm not like like I said I'm not good at belonging to to any set of things but I think there's just a there's something we have to offer um, this moment and all of us are very different like you said it's like such a broad swath of human beings that relate in this particular way and sometimes end up relating around our gender expression or how our sexuality has moved in and out of our lives. I actually relate to a lot of people. I think the people I relate most to inside of queer community are people that relate to that kind of before aspect of their queerness, the way that it has them relate to life and existence. And yeah, so that's who I I find in queer community, that are are my people, folks that still feel that... That questioning or that move towards authenticity that are rooted in that. I'm like, okay, y'all, okay, those are my people. <laughs> um, but I, I just feel like there are things for us to, to do as queer people in ways today. And I, I think we have done that over the years. I mean, I, you know, this, there are so many organizations, I think, especially historically. Um, so many groupings of queer people especially historically that have done that that I feel like have risen to their kind of spiritual task and made um, shifts and changes in this moment you know this pride year I was like one I live in Hawaii so pride doesn't happen the same way or at the same time as it does everywhere else but how you know seeing T-Mobile have the rainbow colors I was just like what what <laughs> Where are we? Where are we going? What is important to us? <laughs> who are we? Yeah. Am <laughs> I in this club or not? Or do I want to be? Do I want to be? And if oh, I just... do want to be, like, who do I need to talk to about like <laughs> this not being it? Right. Especially in this moment, I'm like, what? What? Mm-hmm. And I know that that's like more, there's a difference between the more mainstream LGBT kind of thing and and I think what queerness has always troubled um, and there's a lot of overlap too. And I, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're talking about it. Actually it's interesting because I think, you know, in some ways now queerness that, that, that used to, or has in the past been a kind of an expression of troubling the, you know, literally troubling the kind of troubling time, troubling desire, yeah. troubling all these, these things, yeah. you know, has become merged in many ways with the kind of more mainstream LGBTQ, you know, community. Right. And yeah. so I think that is a really, I think maybe that's part of what you're talking about. And it's part of what I also am reacting. I also react to, and I don't, I don't know my, (laughs) it's funny that you mentioned like troubling things. I, my daughter was reading a really, you know, book from like the 1920s the other day and it, every other word was queer, you know, it was like, what a queer, you know, kind of tea (laughs) party she was having or what a queer world. And, and my daughter as a child of me, you know, is, is kind of like Are they, do do they used to say like lesbian time or lesbian, you know, like she just doesn't understand, but it was a cool, in some ways it was a cool reminder for me to just return to that, what I've always identified with, you know, which is, is this kind of idea of queerness as something that is disruptive, but is also generative, um, and, I like the way you know you're talking about and I'd love to hear a little bit more maybe about you know kind of this idea that we as queer people you know have work to do like we have there's kind of a spiritual imperative in some ways or we you know that at least that resonates for you around what what are the possibilities that mm-hmm. within that kind of disruption
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, um, the that word possibility, when I talk about spirit or spirituality, I think I said this on something recently, spirit is just a place of big questions for me. I don't have any answers in the realm of spirit. It's where I, I keep all my questions. Um, mm. And it's a place of possibility to me. Uh, and I don't have any, I don't have much more information about it. Uh, so I'm holding it that way. But I, I do, I, I can't say or maybe I, I don't I wouldn't venture to say in this moment what I feel like our task is I feel like I've had a task as a queer person and I think in many indigenous frameworks across the world I think there's been ways of understanding queerness and um, the offering there I have felt I think this is as specific as I could probably get But in my role or my work of doing kind of healing justice work or, yeah, that work, I felt that healing work has been very tied to queerness in me or what we might call queerness in me. Mm. There's actually a, a deep relationship between that ability to, or what I talk about is the roots of my queerness to kind of the looking or the feeling into, or the the authenticity, the, the, yeah, the kind of sideways looking, but being able to see very broad feeling. I feel very connected to people in my queerness. I feel connected to all kinds of people in my queerness. My queerness doesn't feel, mm-hmm. I don't know how to say it. It doesn't feel kind of like a, protected experience or isolated experience. My queerness feels very connected to other people. When I am with other people, I feel connected. I feel like there's there's an affinity or something to discover about our connection. That's also my queerness. And I think that has really supported my healing work and how I work with people. Um, it's hard for me to ever be in a space with somebody doing healing work where I could ever completely other them. And I think that's an important skill for people who are doing healing work. Uh, It's got to be hard for you to other people. And people come in, I mean, you probably have this experience, people have done all kinds of things, they're thinking all kinds of things. And as a therapist, you have to be, or as a healer broadly, or yeah, someone who steps into that space, you have to... I think I don't know. You don't have to, but I think it really is helpful if you find it hard to other. If you find it hard to feel apart or unrelated, if you can't see the ways that we are in one another, um, I just feel like that's the it's a great gift in that realm and queerness. And queerness is the way I've experienced really helps you along in that way. Maybe it's my task.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It reminds me, I was, I was reading your blog at some point and you were talking about, I think it was on your blog. You were talking about, you know, something that happens with your leg when you are Mm -hmm. um, working with people's bodies. And it, for some reason, it makes me think about that. Like the the actual connectivity that you experience um, both sort of spiritually or broadly but also the physicality of it you know that when you are and maybe you could speak to mm-hmm. that I like that sp- specific instant but
2: yeah that's that happens to me every time when I'm doing body work with somebody mm-hmm. or when I'm doing good counseling kind of things you know I, every time I don't know how it is with you but every time I go in to do body work I have anxiety I'm like you are not good at this this is not going to work out. What are you about to do? Um, Just to be real, I go through that. My head starts to, my brain starts to do its thing. Um, And I know that I'm really starting to trust my body and connect to someone. When I feel my leg, it'll like stiffen. It'll just stiffen. I can't bend it at all. And I have to kind of walk with it stiff if I'm moving around someone on the table and then I have to root down and usually let it run or shake. Um, I think it means, I don't really know what it means. Maybe someone can help me, but I, it's like life and connection and presence really is flowing through me. Oh, my leg is the one thing that is hanging on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, this is too much information. So I have to like, Ground it so that it can like move and so that I can be impacted by what's happening and it can be released. But it all kind of gets stored in my leg. It's the funniest thing. Mm. First thing I was like, what is going on with my leg? But it happens now every time we actually get into something, mm-hmm. my leg will do that thing. And it's kind of like a blessing when it happens. I can't force it, obviously, but when it happens, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, here we go. All right, we're in.
1: Mm-hmm. We're it. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. It's, it's really, I just appreciate you speaking to that because it, I think that it speaks so much to kind of the way in which you are, as you said, you're kind of in working with people, you're allowing or opening up to um, their experience flowing through you you're, you know, kind of irregardless of what you perceive as difference or, you know, um, something you can't understand it's it opening yourself up in that way is really vulnerable and complicated and it's interesting to hear that uh, about your awareness of the part of yourself that is kind of like hanging on to your own groundedness and we all have to do that as as practitioners or healers or whatever you know we have to hang on in some way to our own sense of self or our ground but yeah it's it's yeah it's very interesting to hear that. So we're we're approaching our our time but I want to I want you just if you can to reflect back on you know the beginning of the conversation and think about that younger version of you maybe like the one that was always walking around with your shirt off and you know <laughs> and if there's anything you would want to convey to that younger version of yourself now, knowing kind of what you know about your body, your lived experience. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I think fundamentally what you know is real. What you know is real. What your grandma knows is real. What the people before your grandmother knew is real. There's a brilliance in these bodies. There's a brilliance in how we communicate. There's a brilliance in how we sustain and, and remain creative um there's there's a lot of knowing in that feltness in that feltness um that you were taught from the start uh, mm. yes yeah, i think i think i just wasted some time in the middle there not realizing all that was transmitted to me because the broader world doesn't understand the knowledge of Those folks in my lineage I wasted a little bit of time but I think I got back on track there Hmm. I think that would be my message
1: yeah thank you so how can people find out about the work you're doing and kind of follow along with what you're doing
2: well I'm a lot of places these days I I think the best ways to follow along are to go on my website prenticehenphill.com also I'm a little bit on Instagram. I'm not great at social media, but mm-hmm. you can find me there. I'm doing work with an organization called Resilient Strategies, doing some organizational consulting work. And I also teach regenerative somatics and Black Organizing for Leadership and Dignity. And I might, by the time this podcast comes out, have my own podcast called Finding Our Way.
1: Oh my goodness.
2: So now that I've said it, it has to happen.
1: (laughs) I cannot wait to listen. That's, that's an amazing, amazing idea. Um, I love that. Thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. It's a beautiful conversation.
2: It was fun. Thank you.